0: Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show.
1: The following podcast from HSBC Global Research was recorded for distribution on the 12th of October, 2023. All the disclosures and disclaimers associated with it must be viewed on the link attached
2: to your media player. Hello everyone, welcome to The Macro Brief, our weekly podcast showcasing the work of our team here at HSBC Global Research. I'm Janet Henry, Global Chief Economist, your host this week. Today I'll be speaking with Pranjal Bandari. Pranjal is our Chief Economist for India and Indonesia. Two countries where demographics will be key in determining economic growth. India is the world's most populous economy. It also has the world's largest youth population, with over 250 million people under the age of 25. And Indonesia is set to have the fourth biggest consumer population on the planet by 2030. So, two economies where there are huge opportunities, but also large potential challenges ahead. And that's where I'd like to start with Pranjal, who joins me here in London. First of all, welcome to London.
0: Thanks, Janet. Great to be here.
2: Well, great to have you. Um, so, Looking um, at India, um, obviously I speak to different investors all over the world and I think it's fair to say at the moment there is an overwhelming optimism um, on the future of India's economy. Um, Now we've known over the years that India has a comparative advantage in services. Is that really still the main driving force that India offers the world?
0: I think so, Janet. I think modern services in India are growing very rapidly. Look at India's IT services exports. It's no longer the call center of the 90s. It's not even the software solution provider of the early 2000s. It's now selling a host of professional services from legal, accounting, HR, design, R&D. In fact, you know, about 1600 multinational companies have set up their global capability center, their services center in India, and are producing a lot of, you know, firm-wide services in India and, and selling it abroad. And all of this is growing very rapidly. In the last three years, India has been earning about $60 billion a year more in revenue from selling these services than it ever has in the past.
2: And obviously, you've written about this in a lot of reports, and I'm thinking of um India's digital date uh, and more importantly, I suppose, leap in services, in which you know it's it's interesting, you're talking about the the ways in which the service sector can actually spill over into manufacturing, whereas we think of other economies in the world where a manufacturing economy has gradually evolved into services. So perhaps you could give us a bit more detail on that.
0: Uh, Yes, for sure. You know, in many countries we've seen economies rise from agriculture to industry and then to services. India sort of leaped from agriculture to services very quickly. But we are now seeing, you know, for instance, many of these MNCs who have set up their global capability service center in India and had a good experience are trying to set up their first manufacturing plant in India. You know, we are seeing this in sectors like medical equipment, high precision manufacturing, electronics, a move from services to manufacturing. By the way, we are also seeing that in India's domestic startups. Many of these startups, for example, India's own Uber, uh, are now setting up uh, their uh, manufacturing arm, uh, for example, producing many of these uh, cars, which they were early earlier only doing the services in. So there's a big move moving back from services to manufacturing.
2: And how important is that in terms of driving future Employment. Obviously, in my opening remarks, I mentioned um, the tremendous opportunities offered by a country that has strong population growth, especially a young population growth. But is that also a challenge in terms of providing jobs for these people?
0: Yes, uh, I worry it is the biggest challenge for the next decade as in the part of India that's doing very well is what I call New India. You know, all the high-tech things, high-tech goods and services, domestic and exportable. But the problem is that New India only makes up 15% of GDP and employs just 5% of India's, India's population. So there has to be a way in which old India joins into the growth story as well. And I do think that the pathways for that are becoming possible with things like digitization of manufacturing, with things like agri-tech, some of the old India is also getting energised. And if that happens, growth could be even higher and more jobs intensive.
2: So so Pranjal, let's turn to the nearer term, um, the cyclical side of the economy. When we look globally at the moment, the challenges uh, hanging over large numbers of emerging economies are are really growing. Um, The dollar has been very strong. US yields have been rising. The Fed certainly is telling us it's not going to be cutting interest rates anytime soon. India has been outperforming. Growth has been very strong in the first half of the year. But India too is an emerging economy. So how long can it continue to grow so robustly? Or will India too also feel some of those strains that are being exerted on other emerging economies?
0: Yes, Janet, it feels a lot like 2022, right, with uh, a stronger dollar, higher U.S. yields, high oil prices. And this time around, we also have the El Nino, the weather event that's making rains very volatile and which could have large growth implications for an economy which has a large rural sector. But what we found is that growth so far hasn't really taken a hit uh, uh, you know we, we find urban growth for instance extremely strong the job market is very hot uh, we find employment numbers to be even higher than what we had seen at the pre-pandemic period uh, so generally incomes are strong as well so even if rural incomes are a bit weaker than before we think strong urban India is more than offsetting that. Uh, Also, you know, oil prices have risen over the last uh, two months, but on a year-on-year basis, they are still lower than what they were last year. So that's also a continuation of a positive terms of trade on on, on the oil front. Uh, I think the one problem is India's external finances with oil prices tending higher, uh, with India banning rice exports recently, the current account deficit has widened. We're also seeing a lot of the inflows into the equity markets and the debt markets slow a little bit. And my sense is that external finances will weaken a little bit going forward. Thankfully, India has a large stock of FX reserves and the RBI is quite active. And the rupee on the whole has been quite a stable currency in the region.
2: So so few concerns in the way of macroeconomic stability. Can we um, turn to, to Indonesia, um, another exciting um, and very populous economy within the region? Um, obviously, you cover both. Um, so, so what are the similarities or indeed differences between those two very important economies?
0: Yes, I think these are two economies uh, in which the growth in the next decade could actually be higher than growth in the previous decade. The reason being, they have some new promising sectors. We already spoke about India's high-tech services sector, manufacturing sector. But Indonesia has some promising sectors too. For instance, it's moving uh, up the value chain of manufacturing, From just being an exporter of ores to actually processing metals and becoming an exporter of processed metals. It's also moving up in the EV ecosystem, uh, using the large stock of nickel it has to make nickel batteries and then EVs. So, lots of promising sectors out there. Our sense is that Indonesia's potential growth could rise by about. 50 basis points in the next couple of years and by the end of the decade Indonesia's GDP growth could be close to 5.8% compared to 5.3% right now.
2: Well that's exciting and again cyclically um, in in Indonesia um, again a comparison Um, With India, how are they faring in a world where inflation's been high and quite sticky? Um, Do you think that um, either economy faces some ongoing inflation risks? Or or do you think actually, we've seen the peak in interest rates um, in these economies and that we can actually look forward to some kind of easing?
0: My sense is growth in India has been stronger than growth in Indonesia, uh, because especially uh, you know India has this large services sector, while Indonesia is more focused on uh, goods trade. And at a time when the global economy is more services driven. Uh, India has done a bit better than Indonesia. So I think that sort of is one difference. Uh, But in terms of macro stability, Indonesia is extremely strong. Uh, Inflation has been very low. The fiscal deficit has been lower than targeted. Their current account, their external finances are worsening a little bit because they sell a lot of coal and palm oil and the prices of that have been falling. But generally, you know, it's an economy in which macro stability is quite strong. Uh, Our senses that rates have peaked in both the economies. Uh, And, you know, hopefully by the middle of next year, both will begin to cut. Our sense is Indonesia has more room to cut because inflation is just so well behaved there.
2: Thank you. And the final but very important question um, is, is political. 2024 obviously a key year for elections um globally um we'll obviously have the u.s election amongst many others but both india and indonesia will go to the polls in 2024 um pretty important um so can you give us your thoughts um on on why they are so important um and anything you can tell us um about the possible evolution of policy um as a consequence um, of those elections
0: Yeah, both India and Indonesia have had strong leaders over the last 10 years. In Indonesia, President Jokowi has finished his two terms and there is a two-term limit, so he can't stand for elections again. And that's why the national elections on 14th February are actually very important will the new president continue the policies and reforms that president jokovic had started i think that's the key question right now as of now there are three key candidates out there and when we go through you know everything they've been saying our senses that they imply the same thing for policy. So hopefully you know, there will be policy continuity in the economy. As for India, Prime Minister Modi has also finished two terms. Uh, he's going to be up for his third term uh, you know, n- n- next year. And again, the big question is that will policy reforms continue in the same fast pace as we've been seeing in the last 10 years? Because that is a very important part of India's growth
2: prospects. Pranjal, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Janet.
1: And a special thanks to Janet for hosting this week's Macro Brief with Jewel. In case you are new to the Macro Brief podcast, it's one of three podcasts we produce here at HSBC Global Research, all of which you are free to subscribe to on a podcast platform of your choice, including Spotify and Apple. In addition to the Macro Brief every week, our Asian edition under the banyan tree is hosted by Chief Asian Economist Fred Newman and Head of Asia Equity Strategy, Harold Vanderlinde. And don't miss our latest edition of the ESG Brief, diving into the world of retail returnables and the vexing problem of clothing returns that are ending up in landfills or incinerators. One event not to miss in the coming week, our regular macro brief host, Piers Butler, will be hosting a special live insights event on LinkedIn on Tuesday, the 17th of October, all about digital finance with Kalish Mystery. Hailish is our global head of insurance and digital finance equity research. That's the 17th Tuesday at 1030 UK Time, 9.30 GMT, or 1730 Hong Kong Time. Now to register, just email us at askresearch at hsbc.com. That is all for the macro brief for this week. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.